Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. This week's episode is a recording of one of our Global Autism Community exclusive events. The topic of this roundtable discussion was inclusion and acceptance. It was hosted by community moderator David Sharif just a few days before his sudden passing last April. I was unable to attend this event, so I had asked David to fill in for me. He did an amazing job facilitating this discussion, and I'm glad he had the opportunity to step up in this way. Participating in this event were autism self-advocates Jeff Snyder, Mary Johnston, Corbin Havener, Olivia Hopps, and Scott Edgar, as well as community members Danielle Terrell, Ben Sharif, Karen Shapiro, and Liz Castillo. In today's conversation, they discuss coping with different situations, teammates or other people that have helped the participants feel accepted, bullying perseverance, school assemblies and fire drills, and teaching non-autistic children about inclusion from a young age. In this episode, discover what's possible when you choose acceptance. To learn more about the participants in this discussion, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. Roundtable discussions like the one you'll hear today are open exclusively for members of our online Global Autism community. We select a different theme each month, and our moderators monitor posts daily to ensure that our online space remains safe and respectful. If you'd like to attend and participate in any of our future events, you can sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you the Global Autism Community. Hey, Corbin. Hey, Mary. Hey, Olivia. Welcome. Hi. So I am aware that this may seem surprising to you. Rachel is unable to make it today, so she has asked me to facilitate the roundtable. My colleague Jeff will be helping out a bit too, but no matter what, this is going to be sweet, and hopefully we'll all have fun with this today. Yeah. Okay, cool. Certainly. Hey, Mom. Hey, David. Hi, everyone. Hi. 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 Karen. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the roundtable. Hey, sorry, it's been a while. Let's begin the roundtable now that we've got a good amount. So Autism Knows No Borders community, global autism community, welcome to the roundtable for April's monthly theme on inclusion, acceptance, and bullying perseverance. To introduce myself, My name is David Sharif, proud community moderator with the Global Autism Project, global autism advocate, motivational speaker, 
magna cum laude graduate of Pace University and the author of The Empowerment of My Condition, a book of poems reflecting my autism journey. Now let's pass the microphone to these wonderful attendees. So who would like to introduce themselves? All right, Jeff, you may kick it off. Thank you. Um, for those of you who haven't been on uh, or this is your first time, my name is Jeff Snyder. I am another of the moderators for the AKNB community. I am a autism neurodiversity self-advocate and public speaker, and I founded my business Going the Distance in May of 2021, so it'll be one year coming up for that. A little bit about myself, I was first diagnosed with autism at 21 months old in December of 1990. I did not start speaking until I was four. And upon my graduation from Seekonk Public Schools in 2007, I became the first student with autism to have completed pre-K through grade 12 without coming from other towns or school districts. And then I have been living in my own apartment since 2015. So this is my seventh year. In addition, I'm also a writer of what is known as fan fiction, which is stories based on movies, TV shows, etc., and I'm also a contributor to the book, This is Autism by Jessica Lightwise and Aiden Allman Cooper, that is available on Amazon.com for $19.97. And if you want me to sign you a copy at a future in-person event, I'd be happy to sign it for you. Thank you, Jeff and Mary. Hi, I am Mary Johnston. I run the blog Autistic Rainbow 15, and I am a disability, LGBTQ plus self-advocate and uh, kind of activist. I write about topics and problems in the disability queer community. And I kind of also talk about my life in those communities as well for anyone interested. And I really enjoy being able to be on this podcast with you guys and talk about topics here. Fantastic. Next. Okay. Well, I'm Corbin Havener, uh, 27 years old, live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I've long been self-aware of being autistic, was diagnosed back in the days when Asperger's was recognized by the DSM, but of course, I like to respect current terms, so I uh, identify with autism spectrum disorder on that one. So anyway, currently, well, I mean, let's see, I was a cross-country runner and a bowler out through high school and cross-country runner, long-distance runner in college. One of the biggest things that shaped me is a very, very difficult summer of 2018, but I found a way to land on my feet and currently do work in a manufacturing setting. But one thing that became clear to me in, say, recent years and, say, recent months is that we have this whole, like, career like career recruiting and um, job placement system that is not built with, you know, autistic or neurodiverse people in mind and is way too one size fits all. So then I determined that's where my next step is. So I'm working on pivoting my career towards that aspect. And you know, if anybody wants um, some advice that I can help me help you help, help each other in kind of a mutual aid sort of way always feel free to reach out a message to me or look me up. Great. My name is Olivia Hopps. I am 26 years old and I was diagnosed with ASD uh, two years ago at 24 years old. 
after searching very long and hard for answers as to why I'm the way I am. So receiving the autism diagnosis was like the best thing that ever could happen to me. I am a former sports journalist and now I'm an entrepreneur and own my own business. And I when I was diagnosed, I started a YouTube channel um, trying to bring awareness to females on the spectrum um, to help other female adults try to figure themselves out, just like I used other people's YouTube channels to figure myself out. And a cause that's really uh, important to me is to try to get girls diagnosed earlier in life so they don't have to go through the same traumas and stuff that I and so many other women had to go through growing up unknowingly autistic. Fantastic. I'm Karen Shapiro. And as David just said, I'm the proud mom of David. And I live in Los Angeles and I'm a film producer. And uh, one of the films that I'm currently in development on and producing is about the transition into adulthood for people on the autism spectrum. Beyond the Cliff, Navigating Autistic Adulthood. All right. We've got, I believe, a couple more left. So who wants to do it? I can go. My name is Elizabeth. It's my first time attending a roundtable discussion, so I'm really excited. I think I've met with a few of you individually. So it's just getting to know all of you guys and hearing your guys' experiences and supporting you guys as much as I can. I work for Global Autism Project, uh, but I, I love getting more involved in the community part of it all. So I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy that my schedule allowed for me to hang out with you guys and listen to you guys, learn from you guys. And yeah, excited to be here. I'm Scott Edgar. I'm from Orlando, but I'll be moving to Gallatin, Tennessee on Monday. It's a suburb north of Nashville. And the main reason why I'm actually moving up there a couple weeks ago, I went and go visit this autism company called Our House that helps people on the spectrum with independent living. And they have a program where they try to, you know, help, you know, what you want out of life and try to make it like, you know, your dreams come true. I presented them with an idea for an animated sitcom that's kind of, you know, a little bit one third Bob's Burgers, one third Simpsons and one third Family Guy. It's about an autism family and the show is going to be called Pain in the Asperger's. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) (laughs) and i just can't wait to get started on this project well scott that sounds exciting that title (laughs) is absolutely tackle worthy but that's very (laughs) sweet congrats on moving to tennessee and i hope that the move-in process goes well so as many of you know today we will be talking about inclusion and acceptance and bullying perseverance, as I said earlier. And as a quick reminder, I am aware that we all have a lot to say, but I want to have us try and keep our answers as short as possible so that everyone has an opportunity to speak. And to conclude my reminder, I want to 
point out the nostueso, if I pronounced it correctly, that means no one speaks twice until everyone speaks once. I'm sure that all of you are familiar with it. If you're not, it's okay. You will be able to learn it as the roundtable goes along. So to get started, the first question that we have is, how do you cope with different situations? Whether it would be a spinner, headphones, setting your own time, or staying silent, or maybe other strategies that you have implemented. Yes. Um, well, I, I think, you know, as a, as a self-advocate and public speaker, my, my objective is to make people aware of, you know, that it's okay for us to see someone, you know, wearing headphones in a, in a public setting or, you know, social setting. And this is something that I um, started taking advantage of fully just a few years ago. You know, back in the day, I would always put on like a mental mask to hide my emotions and try to, you know, be someone that I'm really not. And that was what was frustrating about it. So, and of course, you know, in life, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of, you know, overstimulating situations that you find yourself in. And I've always worn headphones, but I've really started to wear them more frequently in recent years because as I started becoming more self-aware of myself, that was when that I started to, and, and when I would wear the headphones, you know, it was a good coping mechanism. It helped me get through whatever situation I was in. And of course, you know, the only times I, I don't wear headphones are obviously when I'm working or any important event or function, but sometimes I'll have one headphone out of my ear just so I'm not being totally rude. So that's one, that's one tip that I could, that I could offer. Uh, great. So that's a good start. Before all of you share your responses, we had a new guest pop in. Hi, Daniela Terrell, if I said it correctly. Can you please quickly introduce yourselves to our community members on this roundtable? Sure. Sorry for being late. Hi, I'm Danielle. I am a professional in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I just started a new or about to start a new position as a transitional human service coordinator with the Department of Developmental Disabilities. And I have a master's in developmental disabilities with a concentration in ABA and leadership and advocacy. Oh, fantastic. So, Daniela, the question that we have, and I would like to repeat it so that way everyone has a clear idea of what it is and you can rethink your answers. How do you cope with different situations, whether it is wearing headphones, staying silent, or setting time to leave? Anybody else would like to share? I would say for me, what really helps me is headphones. That also really helped me a lot in school because my high school was very big and we would have a hallway where a lot of the people would just kind of like squish together and they'd be very loud. So that was the first thing that always helped me. But another thing I really love about starting my blog was that I got to meet a lot of other autistic creators and I learned so much about like so many different sensory tools that can help me. And that's how I found out about headphones, like the over the ear ones. 
I found out about like weighted blankets and stress balls and like all these different things that helped me. So that's another reason why I loved starting my blog was because I could find out about that kind of stuff. All right. Corbin, did you want to add something? Okay. Well, I know I've had a number of different situations that I can come up in a lot of different ways. Right now, I am in a work environment that due to the sustained level of of ambient noise, OSHA does require hearing protection. So as opposed to inside the ear earplugs, I do opt for the 3M work tunes like headphones, which, you know, it connects to Bluetooth from your phone and it's over the ears hearing protection. And, you know, it also gives me the perk of listening to various podcasts of interest uh, during the day. I also, my, the nature of my work schedule is very rotational. So there's a lot of periodic breaks. So when I, when I go on a break, I like to go into some space that's very spacious and not crowded. And, you know, luckily there are plenty of opportunities where I can do that. And I also pace around. That's, I think that that's just flat out of STEM. I just pace around all the time. Before somebody else shares, another guest just popped in. I'm sure that all of you are familiar with this one. If you met him before, if you haven't, you'll get to meet him. That is my big bro, Benjamin Sharif. Benjamin, welcome to the roundtable. Please introduce yourself. Thank you for the great introduction, David. I'm Ben Sharif, David's brother. I'm here in Brooklyn, New York, and I apologize for being late, but I'm very glad to be here with all of you. So, Benjamin, to let you be aware of what we're at right now, we're talking about how we cope with different situations in any way, whether it's staying silent, wearing headphones, or other kinds of strategies. So far, we have heard from my colleague Jeff. Mary and Corbin. Now, who would like to go next in sharing their strategies? I'll go. All right, Scott. For me, it was just talking to someone. Like for high school, just a little bit about my story. I went to a different high school every four years. So I always just, you know, talk to the special ed teacher. And this was before, like, you know, fidget spinners or anything like that. And just right after high school and just out of college, just therapy, because it's just was helped me, you know, just get stuff, you know, off my chest. And it was just good to talk to someone about someone who actually knows how I feel. All right. That's a good answer. Any other responses from your experiences um, to others who haven't shared yet? I'll go. Um, much like, you know, Mary and Corbin and Jeff said um, about uh, headphones and stuff, that's really helpful when there's a lot of commotion going on because then I can kind of just stay in my own little world more. And then much like Scott said, I was going to say like having a therapist, yes, but also like having somebody with me in like situations that make me really anxious, like 
my fiance, Alex, or my parent or somebody that I can like lean on who like can do the talking for me or, you know, knows what's going on. So it just makes me less anxious. Like I, they're basically like my therapy person and like our service person instead of like a service dog or something, just knowing that they're there gives me some comfort. So that always um, helps me in situations I don't like. I actually really relate to what Olivia was saying because I kind of have my own service person too. And (laughs) that would be my sister or my dad. Um, Uh They just help me feel supported and safe. And my sister always helps me. Like we go on walks and, you know, when she is by my side in like public noisy situations, like she helps me feel safe. So I just wanted to kind of add that little correlation. Yes, totally, totally get it. All right. These are very good responses. The next question is about teammates. How have teammates or other people in general helped you feel accepted? Any kind of setting or wherever it is. Feeling included and accepted by others is a team effort and it does not happen at once. So back on it, how have your teammates or other people helped you feel accepted? I would say mainly Special Olympics is probably by far been the easiest because we're all kind of in the same boat and everything. And we've kind of gone through, you know, the same walks of life. And for team sports, it's just a good way knowing that they definitely have your back. And for independent sports, not so much. And even like as an actor, it's just hard, you know, for me to find, you know, disability roles. Like, for example, a couple weeks ago, I auditioned for a sitcom and it was for, it's kind of, kind of like The Office, but, but based in church. And I was going for old Billy, the slow janitor. And just, you know, to feel like, you know, tell him like, hey, I can do this role. I pretty much told him I have autism and I've been hand flapping since 1989 and the casting directors, you know, love that. And long story short, I didn't get the role and I just got someone They gave it to someone who was neurotypical. And yeah, so it just feels like for me, just. Special Olympics have been like the only way just to feel included because we're all in the same boat. Mm. Yeah, that, that can be hard at times. Yeah. And of course, like my team sport uh, experience, honestly, I think I think for one thing, maybe if you went to high school and maybe if you interacted with some of those uh, cross country runners, you already know we're pretty, uh, we were pretty strange. So, um, <laughs> so not really a whole bunch of judgment goes around uh, there, but I think the odd thing, uh, particularly about my schooling experience is I didn't really experience anything in too much of the way of bullying or being mean, but, you know, being uh, unkind to me or anything, but I was always so much my own person that it was almost like, yeah, I can get along with anybody. Anybody can get along with me, but. I didn't have that true place where I just really, truly fit. It was kind of an odd thing like that. Uh, Cross-country is kind of my thing. 
And, you know, I brought that to the Division Three NCAA level. And now that level of individualism I actually ended up creating a, a sense of mystery where I had my reputation of randomly disappearing and then reappearing. I was very stealthy with that. And all of a sudden there became this baby driver legend about me and I just rolled with it. Interesting. Mary, Olivia, anyone else have something to add? Jeff? I'm just going to piggyback on what Scott said. At my day job, I actually do work with a pair of Special Olympians. They're both twin brothers. And I think that the idea of Special Olympics is, number one, you know, it gives the it gives the individual something to do. Number two, it makes them feel like part of a team. And they. And number three, it gives them a chance to interact with those that are in the same boat as them. And the goal of organizations like Special Olympics is to promote diversity, equality, and inclusion, which is something that we hammer with very hard in the neurodiversity and disability communities, because I think, you know, organizations like Special Olympics can provide a message of DEI in a way that no other organization has has done before. All right. Anybody else want to go? I'll go just real fast, just based on like how teammates have helped me. When I played football in high school, definitely like I hated school, but that was the best year. My freshman year was the best year of high schooling for me because I was on a team that was like very protective of me and acted like my big brothers. And that was a really nice feeling to just, yeah, feel like people like cared about me. And I was around people who shared my, my special interest of football. And so, yeah, I think teams are really important, even though before then I was never really much of a team sport person. (laughs) I was like played tennis and did dance and stuff that weren't really so much teams. But once I started getting into football, um, yeah, just being around people who like have your back no matter what is yeah, really important. All right. Mary. I would say for me personally, I never really felt accepted growing up, but when I was younger around 14 or 15, my dad started going to this church down our street. And about a year later, I wanted to attend Christmas Eve service with him. So I went and I actually really loved the service. So we kept going back every week, every Sunday. And as we met people, that was really the first time where I felt accepted, like as an autistic person, because they kind of just took me in with open arms. And For once, it was almost like an open door of me going from not wanting to communicate with anyone to just (laughs) being a complete blabbermouth with people and speaking to them like 30 minutes to an hour after service. And my dad one time was kind of laughing with my speech teachers like, yeah, you should see her now. You know, (laughs) she went from not wanting to talk to anyone to wanting to stay like two hours at church and serve at church all the time. And we now go to a smaller church that's a um, Episcopal church, actually, because that's our branch. But we really enjoyed that church at the time. And that was kind of how I learned about teamwork and cooperating with people, learning how to kind of share and take turns and serve others. So I'm grateful for that experience. Fantastic. 
Elizabeth and Daniela to give you both a chance to talk or possibly my relatives. What are some of the hardest things you have done in helping an autistic person feel welcomed and accepted in the communities that they were and are still a part of? Actually, as Mary was talking, it reminded me of a family that I worked with. They had enrolled two of their kids into a summer program. And the parents were just like, well, we want to like help the coaches include um, brother who had who was autistic in the in the sport aspect of it all. Um, and they kept like finding ways to like get him in the game and giving him all these tasks and duties and responsibilities and just finding all the ways. Right. And the coaches were awesome. Kids were like super excited about it, trying to find ways. And it just wasn't working out. And so they asked, like, well, how can we, like, help support them? What do you think? Do you have any ideas? And the first thing, like, was just, like, well, have you guys asked, like, if he likes this sport? <laughs> um, maybe, like, he, this just isn't his sport. And so I remember, like, I got there and we just sat on the side watching everyone play. And I was like, hey, what do you think about this sport? And he's like, it's so confusing. It's loud. Like they're too wild. Like, I don't understand it. It's like, I don't like, I just don't see the point in it. And I was like, okay. And so I was like, well, what if I explain the game to you and like the point of it? And so he's like, yeah, I think that that would probably be helpful. And so we went over it and then finally he decided like, nope, I don't like it. Like, this is just not for me. And so we went to the coach and I was like, Hey, like, does it have to be this sport or maybe during this sport he does something else and then when you guys come around to a sport he actually enjoys then maybe he'll be more excited about like actually participating and being with his team teammates and stuff and it was just that <laughs> it was a simple um like super small thing that nobody really like paused to think like oh have we ask this person have we like taken into consideration if he even likes it or wants to be included in this game instead of like finding ways to like throw him in get him included we have to we have to it's like well does he want to <laughs> um and so I think that was really awesome because at that point like it gave us the opportunity to really like sit with family and sit with him and tell him like, Hey, you can tell people when you like something and when you don't like something. And so it was a really great learning experience, not only for the people who are trying to include him, but also for him himself. Like you can advocate for yourself and you can say, I don't want to be a part of this. Like that is inclusion in itself because you're including this person's voice, you're including their interest or disinterest in something. So I thought it was really great. It was an awesome opportunity for people all around the experience to learn. So yeah, I think a really great way that you can support or be supportive or get support is just by asking questions and listening. So that was like my big takeaway from that. <laughs> great. I agree um, with a lot of what Elizabeth said and um, supporting 
people advocating for themselves and just asking, you know, questions about likes and dislikes, what their special interests are and supporting those interests with others. And in my experience, a lot of like modeling and with kids, if they're, you know, watching other kids, maybe it's you yourself getting in with the other kids and playing with them at their level and, and then inviting them over or, if other kids, you know, helping them um, say, hey, do you want to play too? And making it very interactive between all the children so it doesn't, no one feels like excluded. Great. So before we move forward, whether it's with another answer to the next question, another guest ended up popping in, Michelle Vinokurov, another good friend I've had the pleasure of meeting with throughout the pandemic. So um, Michelle, please introduce yourself to our great community on this roundtable. Hi, everyone. You may know me in the autism and the Global Autism Project community. My name is Michelle Vinokura. I'm an autistic self-advocate. I work currently full-time as a paraprofessional for elementary school children with disabilities, and I work for an ABA company on the side. As I've been a college student pursuing a degree in a bachelor's degree in, in psychology with concentration in the ABA. Great. That was a very good introduction, Michelle. So to keep you updated with where we are as of now, we're talking about how have teammates or other people in general helped you feel accepted in any way, shape, or form. And we've also allowed some of our wonderful mentors and relatives in discussing their experiences on how they have helped others on the spectrum feel accepted. So, Michelle, would you like to talk about how you have felt accepted by other teammates or other members in the communities that you were a part of? For me, growing up, when I was little, my autism was completely different for me, where my verbal communication skills were really hard. I couldn't verb, like fully ver- verbally communicate in sentences until uh, 10 years old. I said my first word at age six, couldn't verbally communicate until I was 10. So if it wasn't for my parents and for my siblings, I felt like that was where the first, where my family pretty much accepted me for who I am. I have three other siblings and they're, they don't have any any disability or nothing. It's so and it all started from them. And then as I made my way through in schools and everything, it's just I was very fortunate from my experiences through schooling. Like I went to my town school district in third grade from attending a specialized school in New Jersey. And uh, I had people in my like classmates who like knew that I was the new kid at the time and like they wanted to get to know me and everything. And it was just it was it was so sweet. And these two people are I'm still friends with them to this day. Once in a while, we still like keep in touch and everything. No matter like all of us living in different states now and so. But yeah, it just when people give you a chance of getting to know you and everything, that's where it all starts from there. Even with extracurricular activities and sports, I did a lot of that growing up. My, um, especially my mom was the one who really pushed 
for all of us to do things as a family and also to get us going out there like getting like for to grow like skills like for me it was growing my social skills and everything so I did do when I was little I did taekwondo and I um which I'm happy to share I when I was 10 I got my first degree black belt <laughs> so I um it comes to show you that no matter the challenges or anything that comes in life, like don't let it get to you. You can definitely go through, like you just get through it. Keep on pushing yourself. And I had people back in my Taekwondo school, they were cheering me on and everything. I, you know, like just having people who are supportive, that's really important. Like I had Taekwondo instructors who were very patient with me as I was learning all the forms and techniques and stuff for sparring. Or even when I came to in middle school, like for me in middle school, eventually I was able to make my own group of best friends who I still keep in touch with to this day, even though I moved to Florida, which by the way, that was last year, a year ago. I, I've been living in Florida for a year now from New Jersey. Now that I've been living in Florida, I gained a lot of employment opportunities, such as continuing to be a paraprofessional for the schools and also working with Full Spectrum ABA. Full Spectrum ABA, I felt like, was the first actual ABA company to me that I felt so inclusive with. Like, they gave me a chance from the start. Like, when they found out about my blog website and everything, they knew that I was pursuing a degree in ABA. They want they wanted to recruit me because they felt like that I have a lot of potential to make a difference for autistic people's lives and to help them develop skills. So, you know, I think it's really important for companies to do that and just to give people a chance. So yeah, that's, that sums up with what's going on with me in terms of personally with, with acceptance and inclusion and just from a professional standpoint. Great. Michelle, I'm very happy that you mentioned also feeling included and accepted through sibling and family support. Now that leads me to asking this to my mother and brother, because mom, Ben, I would like you to explain to the global autism community how you have helped me feel accepted. Well, actually, David. I think it would be more interesting to hear how you felt supported by us, honestly. Can I pose the question to you? I don't mean to, to cop out of an answer, but, I, I, but I'm very curious to hear the ways in which that you felt supported by not just us, your family members, but your other community members, maybe even like your camp family and whatnot. Yeah, that's a very good point. To add on to Ben's thoughts, I had and I still have a camp family that I will forever and always stay in touch with for the rest of my life. I found my camp family the summer before high school. It was an unexpected, remarkable gift that I never knew would happen out of so much anxiety. But you may ask me, how did I get through it? I delivered a five-minute speech that I wrote when I was 12 
prior to my bar mitzvah. I delivered a speech about what it is like to be autistic to at least 50 campers plus the staff, my counselors and the unit heads and the camp directors were there as well, watching me share my story and then following that and answering questions, I felt accepted by everybody in the community despite my learning differences and some little challenges that I have and still have to work on. And even from that moment to now, I have never felt more happier to just have developed amazing friendships worldwide. And that was the point where I found my forever and always BFF, Samuel Frolicstein Appel. Sam, I just mentioned your name, and I promise you would want to listen to this because if the audience were to ask me anything, this is something you don't want to miss. Okay, um, Ben, thank you for happening to pose the question to me. And uh, yeah, before we move on, I just wanted to say thank you to my colleague Jeff for joining. Hope that your mother has a good birthday. Scott, thank you for taking the time to be on. Again, I hope that your moving in process from Orlando to Tennessee goes well. Please feel free to share some photos of your new space. All right, now here we go on to something that may seem comfortable or uncomfortable, don't feel obligated to answer if you don't want to. Bullying perseverance. What have been some of the things you have done to cooperate with uh, bullying perseverance after whether it was being bullied by anybody, what have been the ways you have done to get through it? For me, in 11th grade, I think it was, 11th or 12th, there were these group of girls who were freshmen who found out about my diagnosis, and they were purposely cyberbullying me, I found out later, because they said they were doing this like group project, and they needed a picture of someone in the hallway, and I was like, yeah, sure, not thinking about it, and then someone told me that they were using the picture online in a negative sort of like inappropriate way. And I was devastated to let that slip my mind and let them have that picture. And they just like kept taking pictures of me in the hallway whenever I wasn't looking without my permission. And they were sharing them online with like disrespectful things. And I had to tell my skills teacher about it. And then we immediately went to the principal and it took us about three days to find out because they were very clever about it because they were freshmen. They weren't in the yearbook yet. So their tracks were kind of hidden in a sense, but we found them out through the computer and they immediately got in trouble. And they said that if they were to continue they would be suspended. So they had to take everything down and delete everything. And they had to like stay away from me. 
And if they bothered me again, I would let the teacher know. So thankfully, with me going to my teacher, we were able to stop it. But it was like a very unexpected thing that happened. Wow. I'm very sorry. That's that's just not right. Corbin, Olivia, are you comfortable with sharing anything? Thankfully, I've been really, really blessed to not really get bullied. I went to a very small Christian private elementary and middle school, and then a very small high school that was a charter school. And I wouldn't be surprised if many people that I um, went to school with were also autistic or neurodiverse in some way. So we were all kind of equally awkward. (laughs) So there wasn't really um, bullying going on, thankfully. Really, the only bullying I've got has been somewhat recent, actually, from just some people online on my YouTube channel and stuff um, being mean, um, just having to do with with my diagnosis and just kind of invalidating my struggles because I wasn't diagnosed till I was older. So I've unfortunately had that happen like a good handful of times now since being diagnosed. And how I combat that is and persevere through that is just to try my best to ignore it. Um, And, you know, there's way more good than bad. And so, you know, don't let one little bad thing ruin, you know, so much good. Um, So that's just my little tidbit. That's a very good one. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, that if you ever see a comment on one of your videos that seems unkind or cruel remark, you know that you can just delete it right away, which is also another way to ignore it if you've done that before. And you know that yeah. And that reminded me of another like YouTube related comment. So the whole story surrounding my summer of 2018 um would be the phrase predatory employment situation. And you know, anytime I have the chance to promote this, I will, because I think it's important for people to see it. Uh, anytime you have about an hour and a half, it's called the slave circle. And I lasted a month in a, an affiliated smart circle business. It really just changed me based on how all the circumstances at life just, just completely hit at once. But I remember seeing a seeing a comment of like, how could anybody have possibly fell for this? And then I sort of had to rationalize that and had to realize there are a lot of smart, there are a lot of smart people. There are a lot of people who, depending on their uh, situation in life, have been susceptible to the job ads that these companies place. And in my case, I know some of them are better at deceiving than other, others, but I remember it was in a very respectable looking office park and they really disguised their glass door reviews pretty well, as well as a lot of things, a lot of things and accolades I was getting at the time that made me feel confident. You know, it was just very crushing to see how that whole situation in my life collapsed. So, you know, I, I knew if that I could have fell for that situation, like anybody could have. So you know, just being able to, you know, get a good online response in a different platform to say, like, you know, take all internet comments with a grain of salt is important. But, you know, 
Alex Shumka, documentary filmmaker, is a man I respect, and I, I knew, and I know he spent like his like eighteen months in that business, and I have a good perspective that maybe it was negative at the time that it only lasted a month, but you know I'm thankful that I didn't waste any any more time than I need to than I needed to in that business. Okay, a very good answer, Michelle. Is there something you would like to share? For me, kind of similar with Olivia in terms of that I've been fortunate about with my experiences with in like schooling and my education and stuff that bullying didn't really occur for me that much. The only little incident that happened was in my freshman year of high school where I had a friend like from that went to the same high school as me from uh, my middle school. We graduated together, attended the same high school. We were friends, like kind of acquaintance friends, sort of. What happened was that this person kind of all of a sudden changed during our freshman year and started going behind my back. They were starting to spread rumors about me that were not true and were and people were believing this person and I was getting really upset about it because it wasn't true like I knew this rumor wasn't true and the fact that people believe it it I was really stupid but anyway I still was upset and it was hurting a little bit of some friendships that I had in my freshman year so I was talking about with my parents and stuff. And I remember telling them like this, what the, what's been going on. It was hard for me to say it at first because, you know, I wanted to handle it myself, but I felt like I needed support from my parents. So I told them about it and they said to reach out to my case manager, uh, Mr. Schaefer, who that's who my case manager was in high school for part of the part of my child study team so I reached out to him and stuff and he talked to talked to this person who who did all this who caused everything in the first place and stuff so we all talked it out and there was more conversations between them because the my case manager Mr. Schaefer knew that it was more of that person's fault anyway so it was pretty much uh, resolved from there. And then I was no longer friends with this person at all because of what they did and everything. So the whole point with this, of this story is that, you know, to, to take the actions of when someone's trying to hurt you. If you have someone who tries to hurt you, you got to take the actions and do what's right. Yeah, those are good answers. Before we continue, Olivia, thank you for joining. We understand why you had to hop off for the time being. And if any of you have or haven't heard, she is officially engaged to her fiance, Alex. So I would like all of us to wish Olivia again, congrats on your engagement. We are excited to hear about your wonderful success with the love of your life. Back on topic, anybody else 
want to talk about how they have handled situations when there were kids bullying each other. Like Daniela, were there times when you were supporting kids and yet you had to handle a situation where they ended up bullying each other? Um, I can't really think of a specific time. Um, I've worked, I'm trying to think back to when I worked in elementary school. And then recently I worked in a middle school. Um, Fortunately, I guess there was one situation um, and it was more, I guess, about like individual identity and not falling to like negative behaviors and um, conforming to other people's behaviors. So just promoting um, independence and um, individualization um, and then developing meaningful friendships while they're in school now. So just supporting in that way. Fantastic. I understand that I am facilitating and that is the purpose of me kind of not sharing my experiences, but I would love to share bullying perseverance on my end if you guys are interested. Is that okay? Please. Definitely, please. The biggest destiny that was bestowed by my family and that I do to this day is blazing new trails. That is exactly what I was bullied about in secondary school. My career and my dream of blazing new trails. I was bullied for having a camp family. I had camp photos in my binder and on my lockers, and a school bully would shake their head at the photo whenever they see it. If I ever wanted to share a travel experience that I had, and when I wanted to share all the fascinating details, I was constantly interrupted. Being a world traveler has always and will continue to be the gift of my dreams. And even being bullied for finding my long life best friend who is not autistic and is actually out of state. I mentioned that name earlier, Sam. Sam, you were there for me when it happened. It was not just you. It was the entire camp family itself. In a past podcast, I mentioned how my camp family was there. I'm not going to repeat it. But later today in the community, I will make sure to share it so that way you can kind of see a clear picture of it. Being bullied for having a camp family, my travels, but most importantly, my post high school plans were a very serious threat to my dreams. And part of that is I attended a special needs multidisciplinary school that is mainly a setting for students with special needs, all depending on their learning progress. I am sorry that I am about to gloat, and this will sound like bragging rights. I was the only student from my school who was going to sleepaway camp in the other side of the country. And it was my dream to go to college in New York City and out of state. And having persevered, With all of the unkindness that I did not deserve, I became the first student from my high school to go to college, or not to college, a four-year university out of state. And what's even more hurtful was my academic performance 
and I was valedictorian for the class of 2015. Having explained most of what I have said, I am aware that others may have envy feelings about me and my passions, but choosing to tear me down because of all the experiences that I've had is the wrong reason to do so. Once again, choosing to tear somebody down because they have had the experiences you have not been able to have is a very poor reason to do so. And I didn't find the answer to that until junior year of high school. I took care of it. I took the hatred from people who said that going to college in my dream city would never amount to anything for me. I carried it and I used it to become a magna cum laude graduate of Pace University. Wouldn't have made it without the help of my family, my camp family, and other great supports. So that was that. It was all about being mistreated for blazing new trails, tackling new highways. That has always been my passion, and it will always be to this moment. And I have got more blails of trailblazing to do, and we'll keep you updated about that. Here we on to the next question. How have you coped with school assemblies and safety drills? Have they been a little hard for you to deal with, like the sounds and all of that and the environment? of them? I would say for me, yes. I really just kind of pushed through them if it was something like a fire drill or a shelter in place. But our school actually had this really cool thing where if we had assemblies or pep rallies or anything, we were actually allowed to go to a special ed room. We had this teacher named Mrs. Hieronymus and she kind of had like this room where it was quiet and you could sit down on bean bags and just go on your computer because it was a free block anyway. So we were allowed to kind of roam the hallways and just kind of hang out in that spot, play games. And it was a really great kind of system in place to avoid not getting too overwhelmed at school during those events. Michelle, do you have another experience that has helped you get through those things? So. I actually have both personal and professional because of the fact that when I was younger, I attended more than one elementary school. So for me, when it came to fire drills, they were way too loud for me. I would have to cover my ears like this all the time just to get through those fire drills because I couldn't take loud noises at all. But because of my experiences back then, I actually was kind of able to learn from what strategies to be able to help kids, to help students, elementary school students with autism. I worked in the classroom for two years for a school district in New Jersey before I moved to Florida. I worked with elementary school children with autism and to help with fire drills, we would get like heads up of emails from like the principal. We would get a heads up warning that just so that your students are ready for when a fire drill happens or school assemblies happen. Another thing was having headphones or ear or earplugs. So that way, like we still would have the students participate so they know how to go through with a fire drill. 
and also about with in terms of like school assemblies if the environment was too overwhelming the school building that I was in was really good in terms about having a space a classroom where it was all pretty much like all sensory based so we would have the students there if needed if the environment if the school assembly environment was too overwhelming for them to handle and everything so my main point with this is that there was a lot of things that I wish I could have gotten, like all these techniques and strategies from when I was low. But I've learned now how to approach that now from a teacher point of perspective. So then now I know more for even for myself, which I've learned to use whenever I've been in environments that are full of loud noises or being overwhelmed and everything, being overstimulating. Yeah. All right. Corbin, did you want to say something? I've always been finding events and, you know, that's just me. But one, one of the interesting things, and I don't think this is just unique to autism or anything like that. It's just the sound of fire alarms. It's the tone that's very unpleasant. I think part of that is just functional. If you hear that noise, you need to get out. But obviously, it doesn't diminish the fact that it is in a very unpleasant noise. Yeah, it can be. They're very loud. And alarms like that everywhere are always loud for a reason. Daniela, when supporting autistic individuals, have there been ways you have helped them persevere with the assemblies and safety drills, which can be full of loud noises that may seem a bit hard for them to cooperate? Definitely. Um, so I've experienced working with children um, in the middle school and a lot of previewing um, what's going to happen, why fire drills are important, why shelter in place drills are important. And um, for one student specifically, the parents decided that it was going to be uh, too much of a stressful situation. So they planned on keeping him home that day. So instead, uh, we just talked through it and talked um, again about the importance of everything. So he was still being exposed to why the drills are important, um, but he didn't actually go through with it. And then um, warnings for fire drills and everything. And then um, when I worked at an assisted living facility, we had 40 residents with um, different intellectual and developmental disabilities. A few of the residents, they were diagnosed with autism. And working with them, um, one lady, we would have her uh, walk outside and we'd like walk around. Um, there was like a circle on campus and we'd walk around the circle a few times. So when the alarm went off, she was already outside. So it wasn't as loud. And then she would know the meeting area to go to and we walk with her um providing like a lot of praise and support that she was following those right steps to get to the safe place and with another individual when there was fire drills she would stay in her room and we worked with her so she could get out to a safe place and we also incorporated a lot of stories and talking about um Florida so we talked about hurricanes and stuff like that um, to help and support her develop the skills that she needed to be safe and she did really well as well. Okay, now here we go on to the last question. Um, all of you guys have given wonderful answers, but now this is gonna be a bit of a challenge and all I ask is do your best. We're kind of running 
short on time. So I do need you to keep your answers short as we go into this last question. And if I do feel like your answers are getting a bit too long, I will let you know. So don't be surprised. So the last question is, how can we teach non-autistic people about inclusion from a young age? Mary? I think the best way to teach inclusion from a young age is to just talk about different people as your kid starts going into preschool and kind of kindergarten, like a really young age, like, oh, you know, there might be some kids in your classroom that may not communicate the way you do or point at things like you do or they may not like the same things you do. They may be a different religion or skin color and that's okay. You know, we're all a good melting pot of people. Great. Yeah, I agree. I just want to echo what Mary said. I think exposing neurotypical children to neurodivergent or neurodiverse children is essential. In that way, people can grow up understanding that you know, people experience the world differently and that's perfectly okay. And that's beautiful. And that's a part of human nature. And, you know, people can even generate relationships with other people. And I think that helps foster inclusion and helps build those kinds of values in people. And it's great. It's essential to start at a young age. And from my point of view, I think regardless of how your child is, if your child's uh, neurotypical or neurodivergent, expose them to different experiences and leave them open to different interests because special specific interests are what, you know, will bring, you know, autistic children a lot of joy. And if a child is open to a lot of new experiences and interests, it'll be easier for them to accept the autistic child because they'll be learning something cool and new. All right, Michelle. So I would pretty much say that, especially I'm going to talk more from a professional perspective on this because the fact that I work directly with, like right now currently, I work as a one-to-one for for a child with a physical disability. And we're, we're actually in a general ed classroom. So I want to say that it is so important right from the beginning of the school year to talk about how you're going to have peers who are a little different from you and they have just as much abilities as everybody else does. And for everybody else that, that's in the classroom, we would talk about like ways to include children who are a little different or have their own disabilities and such by being able to include them in like with sports, such as with, let's say like with soccer or which by the way, that's what my students been able to play soccer lately, which has been awesome. Also with like a lot of like just teamwork activities to be able to have a mix of peers who have disabilities and peers who don't. And just to be able to like get to know everybody's skills and abilities. That's the whole point. It's pretty much so that way people get to know each other and to foster those relationships between people. Cause that is how our world is today. Like, and world's full of different minds. As we know, Dr. Temple Grandin has said, we need all kinds of different minds. 
Great. Daniela or anyone else want to add anything quickly before we wrap up? Um, I'd like to say something, David. Yeah, mom. So I don't want to embarrass you, but what I would do is two things. One is I would share a video that's on YouTube called My Name is David, which is actually David's video. It's what he wrote when he was 12 years old, which was turned into a claymation video. And I think it's a great example of sharing the differences. And what I've seen, David, is by you sharing your differences, whether it was in school, whether it was in religious school, Ben's school, or at camp, people started to look at you differently and understand you better by you speaking out about who you are, by advocating for yourself. And so I think that video is a great example shares with people what the di- those differences are between autism. And I think that is a great example, I guess. And then I would also say as a parent, what's most important is to be a role model and to be that person who treats everyone kindly, you know, with respect. And we don't always have to just say it directly. We just have to do it and be it in our daily lives. Say hello to the person you're walking next to. Be Say thank you to people who are helping you in the grocery store or just be that person. And others will come around and see you doing it and do it themselves. Great. And mom, thank you for bringing that up. One thing that I didn't mention earlier when I talked about delivering an autism speech, which I did at camp, the autism speech that I have mentioned earlier is made into a claymation video. My brother just put the link in the chat. (laughs) I will eventually put that in the community page after the roundtable ends. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty much something that I would thank my mother for decoding when it comes to expressing oneself. So thank you all for attending this amazing roundtable. And this has been a very fun discussion with all of you. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. As members of society, we all want to feel included and accepted for who we are. What are some of your ideas to promote inclusion and increase acceptance? Let us know over in our online Global Autism community. Are you a self-advocate wanting to connect with other autistic people? Or are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online Global Autism community to collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community.
You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.